welcome to Amnesty International's comedy podcast series. This year, Amnesty's had exclusive backstage access at two of the biggest events on the comedy calendar, the 2014 Edinburgh Festival Fringe and the Balham Comedy Festival in London. We'll be bringing you a series of interviews with some of the greatest stand-up comedians working today, and along with finding out about the business of laughter, we'll be chatting about life, politics and human rights. Today, we're backstage at the Balham Comedy Festival in London to talk to American funny man Reginald D. Hunter. He'll be filling us in on how a dare got him into comedy, his plans to perform in Russia, and how he's delving into the music of the Deep South in his latest documentary. Reginald D. Hunter? Yes, sir. Thank you for joining Amnesty backstage at the Balham Comedy Festival. How are you? Probably better than I deserve. Thank you for asking. Oh, I thought you were great. Well done. I How did you feel? <laughs> How did it go? I gave a decent account of myself. Well, more accurate, I got away with it. <laughs> but you wouldn't want to make a living off the difference. <laughs> there was lovely people. It was a hot room. And it was my first comedy gig in months. And it's like it was like maybe like the last five minutes of my set, I thought, oh, shit, I think I remember how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell you've been away for a while. Thank you, so. young man. You're very agreeable to talk to. <laughs> um, so what have you been up to in the intervening period? Um, I've been getting into adventures. Um, I went to Australia and New Zealand to um, uh, find my funny bone again after a tumultuous 2013. <laughs> and then... I, um, I, I went and filmed a documentary um, in the States for about six weeks, and it was it was very exacting. <laughs> and so um, between jumping time zones and different projects, and even trying to stick in seeing the family in between here and now, it's been a strong minute since I've been you know, telling jokes. So you've not been slacking? Uh, come on, man. I don't want to lie. I mean, I, I sh- you know, I'm a slacker. I slack when I can. But when it's time to work, I work. But if there's a little crack where I can slack, then I slack. And talking of work, you're taking your new show up to Edinburgh. I was, but you I'm were? not doing oh, that not? this year. No, no. How no. come? Um, the enterprise has been diverted on a new mission. <laughs> what are you up to? Um, well, I just finished filming a documentary and. Um, me and my brain trust thought that it might be a little much coming straight in from that mm. and trying to hurry up and get ready for Edinburgh. And I got a personal rule. As much as I love doing Edinburgh, I, 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 I promise myself that I won't make myself just do it if I ain't got nothing to say. Mm. And I also, I'm getting ready to do my first proper European tour. You know, go visit, you know, Russia and oh, Germany wow. and, and a few places in there that you no know, um, English speaking stand up has been. So I wanted to get my mind right for that. Wow, yeah, that sounds like it'll take a lot of preparation. <laughs> how does your comedy, how will your, how do you think your comedy will go down in Russia? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> we will see, I yeah, guess. Yeah, to be continued. <laughs> so if I can, can I take you back to your early days? Um, can you, we stay there when we get there? <laughs> <laughs> you originally came here from Georgia to study at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. That is correct. Uh, so what was the career plan back then? I had the loose one was that um, I was going to try to be an actor, and I felt like I had some aptitude at it. And but when I looked at uh, my competitors, uh, I can't sing, I don't dance, you know. And and so I, I thought before I go to New York or Los Angeles, let me go over here with these British people and let them give me some accreditation, <laughs> and maybe that accreditation will buy me five extra minutes over there back in the states. And I thought as a backup plan, if the acting thing didn't work, I was going to be a chef. 
And um, of course, you know, life is what happens when you're trying to carry out your plan. <laughs> <laughs> and um, before I knew it, I, I found myself starting to do stand-up. And um, the first gig that I did, it went very well. Um, and I was just doing it for a laugh. But, uh, and the audience knew that it was my first time. So, but uh, it went very well and well enough for me to think, well, I'm trying to do a second gig. Mm. And that went very well. And I did about five of those. And then I thought, I think I'm gonna write some jokes. And then, cause <laughs> at that point I ain't have nothing but, you know, an accent and an attitude. <laughs> <laughs> but your first gig was a dad, wasn't it? Hey, it, was a, it, was, it was a prompt. It was like, you know, sitting at the bar and I was ranting because I, I was broke, no plan, no woman. And I was drinking. I was talking loud. But I, when I'm ranting, I'm kind of funny like that. A couple of dudes at the bar was like, you're funny, man. You should do the comedy night. And I was like, come on, maybe. So when you started performing, did you see a big difference between an American sense of humor and a British one? The only difference I've seen between a British sense of humor and, and, and everybody else's sense of humor if British people is the only one who asks you that question. <laughs> and very preoccupied. But British people are very proud of their sense of humor. Like, no one has a sense of humor the way we have a sense of humor. Huh? What kind of sense of humor you got? Uh-uh. We have a thousand-year tradition. Yeah, we have sarcasm. Yeah, and it's like, and it's like so um, I think all, all, all humor, comedy, basically is sex, religion, politics. The difference is in the phrasing. Hmm. That's, what I, that's, that's a general rule, I, I, a general way I see it. And we're just a bit more proud of our sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, I think, I think y'all started some wars with sarcasm. I don't know. <laughs> now, I heard the you have... The sark that lost the, launched a thousand ships. <laughs> I heard you have two sisters that you think are actually funnier than you. Um, does a good sense of humor run in the family? I got one sister who's funnier than me. I got one sister who's funnier than me. My nephew Chauncey is the funniest. Um, my father is the second funniest. He used to be the funniest, but he old now. <laughs> and um, and then I got um, there's my sister. She's coming in third, and I'm actually fourth funniest, but I'm number one in confidence. <laughs> and that's the key. <laughs> that's, that's it. The key. <laughs> and you talk about your nephew in your show, don't you? You've got a nickname for him. Uh, yeah, I do. Deep nuts. <laughs> <laughs> He's my undercover man. Deep nuts. Um, and I, I, I read that when you were a kid, you wanted to be a politician and maybe even president. Yep, I had that dream as a kid. So do you still think the world needs changing? Well, I, I think the world is changing. I think change is a constant. Isn't that what science tells us? Um, I think the problem with the world in regards to change is trying to, we keep trying to fit existing old narratives. It's like when you look at the movies, it's like every few years or so, they're going to try out the same movies, remakes, uh, Gatsby or King Kong or mm. Godzilla. And it's like, after some point, how many of these do we need? Mm. It's like, you know, I, I, I heard that there's talk of remaking The Godfather. Why would you do that? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, if you want to remake The Godfather, go ahead and remake Spice World, the movie first. <laughs> we see how you do. And then you earn the right to talk to me about The Godfather. You remake something that was bad, you know? But I think there's so many existing tropes. When it, when it comes to religion, race, gender roles. And it's like, if things don't fit the pre-existing narrative, then our world has a hard time with it. Hmm. And we need new narratives. Um, we need narratives other than good will always defeat evil because our world proves something otherwise. Hmm. And we need a different narrative other than all the cute, beautiful people will find love at the end because a lot of people don't. Hmm. And... 
just on or that romantic love in children is the highest best love that ain't so either it's just the most common and the most endorsed mm. so those are just an examples off the top of my head mm. imagine i get some spiky twitter feeds <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into the twitter thing don't worry don't worry but, but can comedy change things well <laughs> i think comedy can can add to the language you know, we, we, we can add words to the lexicon. We can be a part of the zeitgeist. But I mean, like, when Joan Baez thought that, you know, songs would change the world, I imagine the Resident Evil was sitting at the TV going, she's really going to try and whoop us with songs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we have missiles. She doesn't know she's going to use songs. <laughs> so change the world and change the world into what? I think it's a vanity. I used to, um, I used to want to make people think. When I first got into stand-up comedy, I was like, I want to make people think. And I was like that for the first seven or eight years. And then maybe about five, six years ago, I began to realize how arrogant and presumptuous that was. You know, here I am, you know, uh, there are massive and unexplained gaps in my education. But I'm going to make people I don't know think. Make them think what? Hmm. You know, you make yourself think and enjoy doing it and let people enjoy your thought process and your joy of doing it. Hmm. But I think it's an arrogant thing to suggest that you're going to make people think. The suggestion is that is that you do and they don't. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And is it true that venues you play sometimes won't use the title of your show? <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about that kind of censorship? I don't really care. I mean, the people who make money off me, they get a little upset about it, you know, and some of the fans do, but... It's just, I mean, what's, what's really nice is that um, when venues here have trouble with titles on my show, it's because of the, the word nigger. But I'm getting ready to do my European tour, and I'm doing it largely in Russia and Germany. And the title of my show is called um, A Nigger Runs Through It. Like the Brad Pitt film. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like you. <laughs> but the thing is, the Russian and German people, couldn't give a toss about it. They're yeah. like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, this will be interesting. They've not even seen the original Brad Pitt film. <laughs> no, they probably haven't. <laughs> um, hey, so have you ever seen the Brad Pitt film, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward uh, Robert Ford? I didn't, I didn't feel the need to watch it. Hmm. I, I have, I'm like that about some movies. No, only because it's completely given away what happens in the title. Oh, you might be too witty for your own good. (laughs) (laughs) So you often confront issues around race in your act. Um, Do you think this has led you to uh, be seen by some as a kind of arbiter as what is racist? And does that annoy you? Uh, Anything that happens a lot, it can get up your nose a bit. But I had to be realistic and realize that I work and live around a lot of white people who ain't been around a lot of people different than them. And so it's kind of human nature and everything. Mm. And when, when they come to me with stuff like that, I, I give them the best answer I can. But I try to make them understand as well. It's just because just you're not black doesn't mean that you are unable to understand racism. Mm. <laughs> We're not, you know, just... Because <laughs> I remember it happening on Have I Got News For You, I think. I think uh, Ian Hislop actually asked you whether something was racist. <laughs> it just seems odd. <laughs> yes. uh, I remember years ago, I had a bit about it. It was like um, this lady from BBC rang up. There was some minor racist controversy of the day. And during that period, they was ringing me up often to comment. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And mm. it was like, well, I don't really want you to do it. And I said, well, 
If I do it, then you have to introduce me as Reginald, King of the Blacks. <laughs> <laughs> if you do that, then I'll speak on it. I'm King of the Blacks. <laughs> <laughs> And I've, I've heard you say that you actually prefer absurdist comedy more than socially charged issue comedy. So absurdist comedy make me laugh. Hmm. I mean, like, it's like it's the stuff I do that make me laugh, it'd be my more ridiculous, silly stuff. But sometimes, you know, when you're tired and on the road, you get to some of that, some of that harder stuff, whether it's about racism or gender politics or sexual politics. And you know that there's going to be an uphill climb with some of the people you're looking at, and your body's like, oh, why can't I say easier stuff? Mm, mm. I just, <laughs> it's just, I just, but I don't do absurdist humor for other people well. Yeah. <laughs> for me, I, I crack myself up with it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, if, if I was going to try to make my living doing absurdist humor, well, I might not be sitting here having this interview with you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we are glad you are here. Glad being and it's here. now time for your human rights questions. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all into that. Boy. I believe humans should have rights now. Excellent. Uh, I've always said that since I was about eight. So Amnesty International defends freedom of expression. So they say. <laughs> Do you think comedians should be able to say what they want? Do I think comedians... I think anybody should be able to say what they want. But I think the same person has to be willing to deal with the consequences of what they say. It's like, um, I've had, they used to have like white comedians say, oh, you can get away with saying the word nigga, and I can't. And I said, no, you can, you can, but like me, you have to be willing to deal with the consequences. And for me, sometimes the consequences came in the form of empty seats, hmm. you know, or harsh write-ups, or angry people, particularly black people. Um, Your own the, family, I think. My, uh, the black people yeah. in my family. It's, my nephew, Deep Nuts, was explaining it to me. <laughs> he said... Um, he said, you have to understand that your sisters and brothers marched in the civil rights movement. Some of them had Black Panther leanings. And it's hard for them to pick up the newspaper every six months and see you going nigga, nigga, nigga. Hmm. <laughs> it's, it, it, they feel it in their body. Yeah. Uh, that just recently came to my attention, you know. So they, they have seen your act? Uh, seen most of them haven't seen yeah. it live. No. Um, but YouTube has done more to put divisions in my family. <laughs> <laughs> Telling tales on you. Deep Nuts told me, he said, when you look on YouTube and look at you, the first 26 pages is your nice sociable stuff. <laughs> but if you get after page 26, that's when things start to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, the Conservative Party have said they might scrap the Human Rights Act after the next election. Can you tell me what human rights mean to you? And do you think human rights are viewed differently in America compared to the UK? I think... It's all, um, how do I phrase this? I think a human right is obvious and basic. And I think that it's the corporatization of our society that makes us put simple, obvious things down on paper or makes uh, have to declare them. Hmm. That's, I, it's something feels redundant about having to fight for human rights when the people you're fighting against are human. Hmm. It's breathtaking to me. And... Sometimes I can't tell if people in power are evil or are they like many people and they think the world is like the group of people they're in. Hmm. You know, I think a lot of conservatives think that the the world either is or should be like their small cluster of friends. Hmm. And that too is a vanity. I just, like I look at George Bush. 
when he was in office, W. And I look at him and I think, he seems to be unaware of how disliked he is. He, how can he not know? <laughs> but he's waving and smiling. He looks happy. But that's because I suspect he be with mostly the people who be like him. Hmm. And the people who be like him, every time he pick up USA Today, they go, no, 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 let me, let me keep that. But <laughs> <laughs> you go over there and have a drink. <laughs> I understand what you mean. The people just stay within their own circle and don't hmm. let anything else well, interrupt It's them. like sexual politics. Like, you know, the sexual politics where I come from in terms of do's and don'ts and what's cool and what's sexy and what's not, it's different there than it is here. But in Britain, you go 10 miles in any direction and the sexual politics slightly change. Hmm. Like, I've spoken to British people and they're like, well, you know, everyone does this. And it's like, no, they don't even, not everyone even does this up the road. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but within your cluster, if you haven't gone out of it much, you know, your world... Your world can be the world hmm. to you, you know? And I think, uh, I suspect that a lot of people who get into office, they're coming from their world, and they're trying to make, the, I don't know, I don't know. You know what? I was uh, I, I, That's an incomplete thought. I was thinking that last night, but when I stopped thinking about it, I thought to myself, I need to think about this some more. <laughs> and I need to start thinking about it again until I was talking to you there, and that's the wrong time to be thinking about that's it. That's fair enough. Thank you. Well, finally, let's end on a light note. Mm. You've just been working on a new documentary about uh, Southern music, right? Mm. Yes. So, uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. I've been working on a documentary about Southern music. (laughs) (laughs) Southern music, Southern in terms of... It's actually um, actually old-time Southern music. Old-time Southern, like from blues to bluegrass. Yeah. Um, Just... uh, from blues to Brulass to Robert Johnson to Leonard Skinner, that kind of thing. So we're talking Memphis, New Orleans. Did Memphis, yeah, yeah, did all that. Yeah, yeah. Did, did, did a lot of Tennessee. How, how long was how long were you out there for? Six like? weeks, six and a half. Wow. Did you go down to those crossroads where... Yeah, actually, uh, did some filming it? there. Soul to Soul? What was his name? Soul to Soul. The guy who sold his soul at the crossroads. Oh, oh, um, Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson, mm-hmm. yes. Well, I, I, went, I went and stood at the crossroads. And you know what's depressing? You get to the crossroads... And one corner is a gas station, and another corner is a donut shop, and another one is a burger joint. <laughs> it's like the devil decides to franchise out, baby. <laughs> the devil is a capitalist. I know. Um, so when can we see that? Um, um, uh, the people in charge say January. On the BBC. To release it, BBC Two. Well, I can't wait to see. I'm a big fan of that kind of music. Yeah, well, and if, if you did that kind of music, because mm. a lot of the music I hadn't heard of. And it's like yeah, the the BBC people they was like, well, surely you know this song. You're from the south. Yes. And it's like, well, we don't really do a lot of Leonard Skinner in yes. the ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Sweet Home Alabama is lovely. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Everybody know it, but it's like, but they went back and did some old time songs, and um, we we actually explored um, Southern Gothic. Mm. Uh, Southern Gothic is a thing, uh, not just in music but in books. Yeah. And yeah. all Southern Gothic is is just romanticized murder in the South. We, we do murder very well in the South. Right, yeah. <laughs> Certainly do it often. <laughs> <laughs> well, Reginald D. Hunter, thank you very much for giving us your time. Brother Tim. And good luck in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> From Georgia with love, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, I <can't, laughs> and I can't wait to see the documentary, and I can't wait to see you live at some point I sure appreciate it. Tim, you use the company. Take thank care you very me. much. <laughs>
If you're interested in learning more about human rights or joining Amnesty International, then please go to our website, amnesty.org.uk. And make sure you don't miss our next episode. Here's a sneak peek. I'm so bored of makeup. I don't have the time <laughs> to take it off at the end of the evening. I never wear makeup unless it's on stage. But then oh, I just couldn't quite. I just thought, it's showbiz, isn't it? <laughs> Slap on a bit. It almost seems disrespectful to the audience not to make mm. a bit of an effort with makeup. And then I thought I wouldn't wear a bra. Because <laughs> I'm really over bras as well. Really hate wearing bras. So you just um, turn up in your pyjamas. Just turn up in my pyjamas and go, it's about the words, man. I don't know. <laughs>